Section 9 of History of New England, 1630-1649. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of New England, 1630-1649 by John Winthrop. Section 9, 1637. Twelfth month, February 22nd. The lieutenant of Saybrook, at the mouth of Connecticut, going out with nine men, armed with swords and pieces, they started three Indians, whom they pursued till they were brought into an ambush of fifty, who came upon them and slew four of their men, and had they not drawn their swords and retired, they had all been slain. The Indians were so hardy as they came close up to them, notwithstanding their pieces. 11th month, January the 10th. Captain Turner's house in Sagus took fire by an oven about midnight, and was burnt down, with all that was in it save the persons. About fourteen days since, a ship called the George of Bristol, laden with cattle and passengers, having been some time at the western islands, footnote, Azores, and footnote, and having spent her mainmast around Cape Cod, and after come near Brewster's Islands, was, by northwest winds, forced to put into Plymouth. Twentieth. A general fast was kept in all the churches, the occasion was the miserable estate of the churches in Germany, the calamities upon our native country, the bishops making havoc in the churches, putting down the faithful ministers, and advancing popish ceremonies and doctrines, the plague raging exceedingly, and famine and sword threatening them, the dangers of those at Connecticut, and of ourselves also by the Indians, and the dissensions in our churches. The differences in the said points of religion increased more and more, and the ministers of both sides, there being only Mr. Cotton of one party, did publicly declare their judgments in some of them, so as all men's mouths were full of them. In there being, twelfth month, February 3rd, a ship ready to go for England, and many passengers in it, Mr. Cotton took occasion to speak to them about the differences, etc., and willed them to tell our countrymen that all the strife amongst us was about magnifying the grace of God, one party seeking to advance the grace of God within us, and the other to advance the grace of God towards us, meaning by the one justification, and by the other sanctification. And so bade them tell them that, if there were any among them that would strive for grace, they should come hither, and so declared some particulars. Mr. Wilson spake after him, and declared that he knew none of the elders or brethren of the churches, but did labor to advance the free grace of God in justification, so far as the word of God required, and spake also about the doctrine of sanctification, and the use and necessity, etc., of it, by occasion whereof no man could tell, except some few who knew the bottom of the matter, where any difference was, which speech, though it offended those of Mr. Cotton's party, yet it was very seasonable to clear the rest, who otherwise should have been reputed to have opposed free grace. Thus every occasion increased the contention, and caused great alienation of minds, and the members of Boston, frequenting the lectures of other ministers, did make much disturbance by public questions, and objections to their doctrines, which did any way disagree from their opinions, and it began to be as common here to distinguish between men, by being under a covenant of grace or a covenant of works, as in other countries between Protestants and Papists. Footnote. How hurtful to the churches the controversy was, appears from the fact that for two years, while it was raging, the records show that no member was received into the Boston church. Yet so slight were the differences that both Cotton and Wilson unite in stating the trouble in such terms, that passengers to England may make no report of discord. Stoppage of immigration and interference from the authorities were to be feared if the melancholy story of the schism were related. Both sides therefore tried to put a good face on things. In footnote. 
February 6. A man of Weymouth, but not of the church, fell into some trouble of mind, and in the night cried out, Art thou come, Lord Jesus? And with that leaped out of his bed in his shirt, and, breaking from his wife, leaped out a high window into the snow, and ran about seven miles off, and being traced in the snow, was found dead next morning. They might perceive that he had kneeled down to prayer in diverse places. 1. March the ninth, The general court began. When any matter about these new opinions was mentioned, the court was divided, yet the greater number far were sound. They questioned the proceeding against Mr. Wilson for his speech in the last court, but could not fasten upon such as had prejudiced him, etc. But by the vote of the greater party, his speech was approved and declared to have been a seasonable advice and no charge or accusation. The ministers, being called to give advice about the authority of the court and things concerning the churches, etc., did all agree of these two things. 1. That no member of the court ought to be publicly questioned by a church for any speech in the court without the license of the court. The reason was, because the court may have sufficient reason that may excuse the sin, which yet may not be fit to acquaint the church with, being a secret of state. The second thing was that, in all such heresies or errors of any church members as are manifest and dangerous to the state, the court may proceed without tarrying for the church, but if the opinions be doubtful, etc., they are first to refer them to the church, etc. At this court, when Mr. Wheelwright was to be questioned for a sermon, which seemed to tend to sedition, etc., near all the Church of Boston presented a petition to the court for two things. First, that as freemen they might be present in cases of judicature. Second, that the court would declare if they might deal in cases of conscience before the church, etc. This was taken as a groundless and presumptuous act, especially at this season, and was rejected with his answer. That the court had never used to proceed judicially, but it was openly, but for a matter of consultation and preparation and causes, they might and would be private. One Stephen Greensmith, for saying that all the ministers, except A, B, C, did teach a covenant of works, was censured to acknowledge his fault in every church and fined forty pounds. Mr. Wheelwright, one of the members of Boston, preaching at the last fast, inveighed against all that walked in a covenant of works, as he described it to be, viz., such as maintained sanctification as an evidence of justification, etc., and called them antichrists, and stirred up the people against them with much bitterness and vehemency. For this he was called into the court, and his sermon being produced, he justified it, and confessed he did mean all that walk in such a way. Whereupon the elders of the rest of the churches were called, and asked whether they, in their ministry, did walk in such a way. They all acknowledged they did. So after much debate, the court adjudged him guilty of sedition, and also of contempt, for that the court had appointed the fast as a means of reconciliation of the differences, etc., and he purposefully set himself to kindle and increase some. Footnote. Savage quotes from Wheelwright's sermon, a passage characterized not only by piety, but by a quality in those days apparently more rare, sound common sense. He in particular rejects the name antinomian, which, though not employed here by Winthrop, was by many others affixed as a stigma to the heresies of Mrs. Hutchinson and her followers. Cotton upheld Wheelwright, and in 1654 the general court rendered to Wheelwright, who was in exile in New Hampshire, effected much good, a tardy but substantial justice. See Mather, Magnalia, Book 7, Chapter 3, Section 3. In footnote. The governor and some few more who dissented tendered a protestation, which, because it wholly justified Mr. Wheelwright and condemned the proceedings of the court, was rejected. 
The Church of Boston also tendered a petition in his behalf, justifying Mr. Wheelwright's sermon. The court deferred sentence till the next court and advised with the ministers, etc., whether they might enjoin his silence, etc. They answered that they were not clear in that point, but desired rather that he might be commended to the Church of Boston to take care of him, which accordingly was done, and he enjoined to appear at the next court. Much heat of contention was this court between the opposite parties, so as it was moved that the next court might be kept at Newtown. The governor refused to put it to the vote. The deputy was loath to do it, except the court would require him because he dwelt in Boston, etc. So the court put it to Mr. Endicott. 21st. Miantunama, etc., sent 26, with 40 fathom of wampum and a Pequod's hand. We gave four of the chief each a coat of 14 shillings price, and deferred to return our present till after, according to their manner. Month 2, April the 1st. Those of Connecticut returned answer to our public letters, wherein they showed themselves unsatisfied about our former expedition against the Pequods, and their expectations of a further prosecution of the war, to which they offer to send men, and signify their unpreparedness to declare themselves in the matter of government, in regard to their engagement to attend the answer of the gentlemen of Saybrook about the same manner. 10th. Captain Underhill was sent to Saybrook, with twenty men, to keep the fort both in respect to the Indians, and especially of the Dutch, who, by their speeches and supplies out of Holland, gave cause of suspicion that they had some design upon it. The men were sent at the charge of the gentlemen of Saybrook, and lent by order of the council here, for fear any advantage should be taken by the adverse party, through the weakness of the place. 6th. The Church of Concord kept a day of humiliation at Newtown for ordination of their elders, and they chose Mr. Buckley, footnote, the Reverend Peter Buckley, in footnote, teacher, and Mr. Jones, pastor. Upon a question moved by one sent from the Church of Salem, it was resolved by the ministers there present that such as had been ministers in England were lawful ministers by the call of the people there, notwithstanding their acceptance of the call of the bishops, etc., for which they humbled themselves, acknowledging it their sin, etc. But being come hither, they accounted themselves no ministers, until they were called to another church, and that, upon election, they were ministers before they were solemnly ordained. The governor, and Mr. Cotton, and Mr. Wheelwright, and the two ruling elders of Boston, and the rest of that church, which were of any note, did none of them come to this meeting. The reason was perceived to be because they accounted these as legal preachers and therefore would not give approbation to their ordination. 3. May 2nd. Mr. Haynes, one of our magistrates, removed with his family to Connecticut. 12th. We received a letter from him and others, being then at Saybrook that the Pequods had been up the river at Weathersfield and had killed six men being at their work and twenty cows and a mare, and had killed three women and carried away two maids. Mr. Winslow was sent from the governor and council of Plymouth to treat with us about joining against the Pequods. He declared first their willingness to aid us, but that they could not do anything till their general court, which was not till the first Tuesday in the fourth month. Then he made some objections, as, first, our refusal to aid them against the French, second, our people's trading at Kennebec, third, the injury offered them at Connecticut by those of Windsor in taking away their land there, Fourth, their own poverty and our ability, which needed not any help from them. To this answer was made by our governor and deputy that, one, we did not desire them to afford aid unto us, but to join against the common enemy, who, if he were not subdued, would prove as dangerous to them as to us, and, he prevailing, would cause all the Indians in the country to join to root out all the English. 
Second, for a refusal to aid them against the French, the case was not alike, for it was their private quarrel, and they were supposed to have commission from the King of France, and we thought it no wisdom for us to engage ourselves in a war with the King of France, yet we acknowledged some failing in it. For a people's trading at Kennebec, we answered that we gave no allowance to it, nor had we heard of more than a boat or two that had been there. For the injury done them at Connecticut, we had dealt with them to give satisfaction, but it was not in our power to do them justice in it. He alleged also that this war did not concern them, seeing the Pequods had not killed any of theirs. We answered that Captain Stone, etc., for whom this war is begun, were none of ours neither. He alleged further that in our first undertaking, they were not acquainted with it till two or three days before our forces were to go forth. We answered we intended at the first to send only to Block Island, and for that we thought it not needful to trouble them, and our sending them thence to the Pequods was with hope to draw them to Parley, and so to some quiet end. We concluded to write further to them from our next court, and whereas they propounded to have us promise to aid them in all their occasions, etc., we answered that, seeing, when we now treated with them about joining with us, they were at liberty and might withhold, except they saw reason to move them, so we desired to be left free that we might judge of the reason of any such occasion as might fall out. According hereunto we writ to them the twentieth of the third month, and gave them some considerations why they should join with us, as, one, because if we should be overcome it would cost them more to help us and be less acceptable, two, it should prevail without them, it would occasion ill thoughts in our peoples towards theirs, etc., so we left it to them. Footnote. This letter of Winthrop's of May 20th, 1637, is given in full by Bradford, pages 335-337. 17th. Our court of elections was at Newtown. So soon as the court was set, being about one of the clock, a petition was preferred by those of Boston. The governor would have read it, but the deputy said it was out of order. It was a court for elections, and those must first be dispatched, and then their petition should be heard. Diverse others also opposed that course as an ill precedent, etc., and the petition being about pretense of liberty, etc., though intended chiefly for revoking the sentence given against Mr. Wheelwright, would have spent all the day in debate, etc. But yet the governor and those of that party would not proceed to election except the petition was read. Much time was already spent about this debate, and the people crying out for election, it was moved by the deputy that the people should divide themselves and the greater number must carry it. And so it was done, and the greater number by many were for election. But the governor and that side kept their place still, and would not proceed. Whereupon the deputy told him that if he would not go to election, he and the rest of that side would proceed. Upon that he came from his company, and they went to election, and Mr. Winthrop was chosen governor, Mr. Dudley deputy, and Mr. Endicott of the standing council. And Mr. Israel Stoughton and Mr. Richard Saltonstall were called in to be assistants, and Mr. Vane, Mr. Coddington, and Mr. Dummer, being all of that faction, were left quite out. There was great danger of a tumult that day, for those of that side grew into fierce speeches, and some laid hands on others, but seeing themselves too weak, they grew quiet. They expected a great advantage that day, because the remote towns were allowed to come in by proxy, but it fell out that there were enough beside. But if it had been otherwise, they must have put in their deputies, as other towns had done, for all matters besides elections. Boston, having deferred to choose deputies till the election was passed, went home that night, and the next morning they sent Mr. Vane, the late governor, and Mr. Coddington, and Mr. Hoff for their deputies. But the court, being grieved at it, 
found a means to send them home again for that two of the freemen of boston had not notice of the election so they went all home and the next morning they returned the same gentlemen again upon a new choice and the court not finding how they might reject them they were admitted upon the election of the new governor the sergeants who had attended the old governor to the court being all boston men where the new governor also dwelt laid down their halberds and went home and whereas they had all been wont to attend the former governor to and from the meetings on the lord's day they gave over now so as the new governor was fain to use his own servants to carry two halberds before him whereas the former governor had never less than four diverse writings were now published about these differences among the rest the magistrates set forth an apology footnote printed in the short story of which more later in footnote to justify the sentence of the court against mr wheelwright which the adverse party had much opposed and spoken evil of and did also set forth a remonstrance to that end in which they did not deal fairly for in abbreviating mr wheelwright his sermon they clear altered both the words and meaning of such passages in it whereat the offence was taken and which were the grounds of the court's sentence mr wheelwright also himself set forth a small tractate about the principal doctrine of his sermon viz about the covenant of grace which was also differing from his sermon the other ministers also set out an answer to his sermon confuting the same by many strong arguments mr colleton also replied to their answer very largely and stated the differences in a very narrow scantling and mr shepherd preaching at the day of election brought them yet nearer so as except men of good understanding and such as knew the bottom of the tenets of those of the other party few could see where the difference was and indeed it seemed so small as if men's affections had not been formerly alienated when the differences were formally stated as fundamental they might have easily have come to reconciliation for in these particulars they agreed first that justification and sanctification were both together in time second that a man must know himself to be justified before he can know himself to be sanctified third that the spirit never witnesses justification without a word and a work the difference was whether the first assurance be by an absolute promise always and not by a conditional also and whether a man could have any true assurance without sight of some such work of his soul as no hypocrite could attain unto footnote the folly and pitiableness of this dissension over matters which the combatants themselves admitted to be so trifling is brought home to us in reading that in these days the boston men gathered for the quat war a most important contingent of the fourth came near refusing to march because the chaplain john wilson was under a quote, covenant of works end quote. and yet there has never been in new england a call for men more imperative palfrey history of new england volume one four ninety two in footnote at the court mr wheelwright according as he was enjoined did appear but because a general day of humiliation was appointed and it was agreed that all the churches should choose certain men to meet and confer about the differences the court gave him respite to the next session which was appointed the first tuesday in august to bethink himself that retracting and reforming his error etc the court might show him favor which otherwise he must not expect his answer was that if he had committed sedition then he ought to be put to death and if we did mean to proceed against him he meant to appeal to the king's court for he could retract nothing the court told him that they were clear in the justice of their proceeding and should judge of his offence as they had done if it were to do again but if upon the conference among the churches the lord should discover any further light to them as they yet had seen they should gladly embrace it the intent of the court in deferring the sentence was 
that being thus provoked by their tumultuous course and diverse insolent speeches which some of that party had uttered in the court and having now power enough to crush them their moderation and desire of reconciliation might appear to all having received intelligence from me and Tunama that the pequods had sent their women and children to an island for their safety we presently sent away forty men by land the narangnasats and there to take in me and Tunama, and he offered to send sixteen men with ours and so in the night to set upon them we also provided to send one hundred and sixty footnote the relative strength of the towns of the colony at this time may be inferred from the apportionment of this body boston twenty six salem eighteen ipswich seventeen lynn sixteen watertown fourteen dorchester thirteen charlestown twelve roxbury ten newtown nine newbury eight Hingham, 6, Weymouth, 5, Medford, 3, Marblehead, 3, Savage, in footnote. More after them to prosecute the war, and Mr. Stone, one of the magistrates, was sent with them, and Mr. Wilson, the pastor of Boston. These two were chosen thus in the open court. Three magistrates were set apart, and one was designed by a lot. Also the elders sent apart two, and a lot was cast between them in a solemn public invocation of the name of God. 22nd. Miantunama sent his word that Captain Mason, footnote, Captain John Mason led the little army with great courage and skill. A better or more necessary piece of Indian fighting has perhaps never been done. It saved the colony from extinction. Sir Thomas Fairfax, Mason's old comrade in England, desired his services in the army of the Parliament. An account of the Pequot War was written by Mason himself. Massachusetts Historical Society's Collection, Second Series, volume 8 page 232 and another by lion gardner same source third series third volume 136 and 173 mason's life has been written by george e ellis in footnote with a company of the english upon the river had surprised and slain eight pequods and taken seven squaws and with some of them had redeemed the two english maids 24th by letters from mr williams we were certified which the next day was confirmed by some who came from Saybrook, that Captain Mason was come to Saybrook with eighty English and one hundred Indians, and that the Indians had gone out there and met with seven Pequods, five they killed, one they took alive, whom the English put to torture, and set all their heads upon the fort. The reason was because they had tortured such of our men as they took alive. The Dutch governor sent a sloop to Pequod to redeem the two English maids by whatever means soever, though it were with breach of their peace with the Pequods. Footnote. The humanity and bravery of the Dutch in risking a war with the Pequots to ransom the English maids is commendable. Johnson says, Wonder-Working Providence, Book 2, Chapter 1, that the Pequots asked the maids if they could make gunpowder. They plainly felt their disadvantage. In footnote. The sloop offered largely for the ransom, but nothing would be accepted. So the Dutch, having many Pequods aboard, stayed six of them the rest leaped overboard and with them redeemed the two maids who had been well used by the pequods and no violence offered them the former governor and mr coddington being discontented that the people had left them out of all public service gave further proof of it in the congregation for they refused to sit in the magistrate's seat where mr vane had always sitten from his first arrival and went and sat with the deacons although the governor sent to desire them to come into him and upon the day of the general fast they went from Boston to keep the day at the mount with Mr. Wheelwright.
another occasion of their discontent and of the rest of that party was an order which the court had made to keep out all such persons as might be dangerous to the commonwealth by imposing a penalty upon all such as should not retain any etc above three weeks which should not be allowed by some of the magistrates for it was very probable that they expected many of their opinion to come out of england from mr Briarly, his church etc footnote winthrop wrote at this time a defense of the order of the court to which vane wrote a brief answer of which interchange of papers no mention is made here the papers are preserved in hutchinson papers volume one seventy nine and eighty four vane's brief answer is memorable as containing the first adumbration of an idea for which he was afterward to struggle upon a larger stage the idea of toleration for the order of the court see massachusetts colony records volume one one ninety six from cotton's way of the congregational churches cleared a famous book it appears that he as well as vane felt outraged by the order thus showing the more liberal spirit which in a different environment might have characterized him he designed at this time says savage to remove to connecticut but was dissuaded in footnote this order and other differences between the new governor and them was the cause that at his return to boston none of them met him and the sergeants who had constantly attended the former governor to all public meetings with four halberds did now refuse to do any such office to the new alleging that they had done it to the former voluntarily in respect of his person not his place to which it was answered that there was a double error one because the place drowns the person be he honorable or base second in that any compliment of honor being once conferred upon an office though voluntarily cannot after be taken away without contempt and injury the country taking notice of this offered to send in some from the neighboring towns to carry the halberds by course and upon that the town of boston offered to send some men but not the sergeants but the governor chose rather to make use of two of his own servants twenty fifth our english from connecticut with their indians and many of the ragnasets marched in the night to a fort of Pequodset mystic and besetting the same about break of the day after two hours fight they took it by firing it and slew therein two chief sachems and one hundred and fifty fighting men and about one hundred and fifty old men women and children with the loss of two english whereof but one was killed by the enemy diverse of the indian friends were hurt by the english because they had not some mark to distinguish them from the Pequods, as some of them had the story is more fully described in the next leaf footnote this account has been lost if it were ever written but mason's report ellis mason is very vivid recording much ruthlessness as well as valor in footnote presently upon this came news from the narangnaset that all the english and two hundred of the indians were cut off in their retreat for want of powder and victuals three days after this was confirmed by a post from plymouth with such probable circumstances as it was generally believed but three days after mr williams having gone to the narangnasets to discover the truth found the morning as being confident of it but that night some came from the army and assured them all was well and that all the pequods were fled and had forsaken their forts the general defeat of the pequods at mystic happened the day after our general fast footnote it was through roger williams that the naragnesets were held firm to the english ellis mason page three sixty a fact which winthrop does not make clear in footnote month four june the third two ships arrived here out of england mr pierce was one in them came the copy of a commission from the commissioners for new england to diverse of the magistrates here to govern all the people in new england till further order etc 
Upon this pretense that there was no lawful authority in force here, either immediate or immediate, from his majesty. Footnote. In addition to all the other trouble, here was a new event full of evil import. In footnote. Upon the news from Mr. Williams that the Pequods were dispersed, and some come in and submitted to the Narangnesets, who had not received them before he had sent to know our mind, the governor and council thought it needless to send so many men, and therefore sent out warrants only for one half of the two hundred. But some of the people liked not of it, and came to the governor to have all sent. He took it ill, and though three of the ministers came with them to debate the matter, he told them that if any one discerning an error in the proceedings of the council had come in a private manner to acquaint him therewith, etc., it had been well done, but to come so many of them in a public and popular way was not well, but would bring authority into contempt. This they took well at his hands and excused their intentions. So it was thought fit to send about forty men more, which was yielded rather to satisfy the people than for any need that appeared. Upon our governor's letter to Plymouth, our friends there agreed to send a pinnace with forty men to assist in the war against the Pequods, but they could not be ready to meet us at the first. Fifteenth, there was a day of thanksgiving kept in all the churches for the victory obtained against the Pequods and for other mercies. About this time came home a small pinnace of thirty tons, which had been forth eight months and was given for lost. She went to the Bermuda, but by continual tempests was kept from thence, and forced to bear up for the West Indies, and being in great distress, arrived at Hispaniola, and not daring to go into any inhabited place there, but to go ashore in obscure places, and lift of turtles and hods, etc. At last they were forced into a harbor, where lay a French man-of-war with his prize, and had surely made prize of them also, but that the providence of God so disposed, as a captain, one Petfree, had lived at Pascataquac, and knew the merchant of our bark, one Mr. Gibbons. Whereupon he used them courteously, and, for such commodities as she carried, freighted her with tallow, hides, etc., and sent home with her his prize, which he sold for a small price to be paid in New England. He brought home an alligardo, which he gave the governor. Footnote. Mr. C.F. Adams, Three Episodes of Massachusetts History, page 357, suspects that Gibbon's story masks a buccaneering venture. In footnote. 20th. Three ships arrived here from Ipswich with 360 passengers, the last being loath to come to an anchor at Castle Island, though hailed by the castle boat and required, etc., the gunner made a shot, intending to shoot before her for a warning, but the powder in the touch hole being wet, and the ship having fresh way with wind and tide, the shot took place in the shrouds and killed the passenger, an honest man. The next day the governor charged an inquest, and sent them aboard with two of the magistrates, one of them being deputed coroner, to take view of the dead body, and who, upon hearing all the evidence, etc., found that he had come to his death by the providence of God. Twenty-third, the governors went to Sagus, and so to Salem and to Ipswich, at all which places the men of the towns met him and guarded him from town to town, though not desired nor expected by him, to show their respect to their governor, and also for his safety, in regard it was reported the Pequods were come this way. He returned again the twenty-eighth, being forced to travel all the night by reason of the heat, which was so extreme, and diverse of those who were new come on shore, died in their travel a few miles. Twenty-sixth. There arrived two ships from London, the Hector and the Blank. In these came Mr. Davenport, and another minister, and Mr. Eaton, and Mr. Hopkins, two merchants of London, men of fair estate and of great esteem for religion, and wisdom in outward affairs. Footnote. 
John Davenport, Theophilus Eaton, and Edward Hopkins are among the most distinguished of the Connecticut worthies. The first, like Cotton and Hooker, having achieved eminence in England, came to America a man of forty, and though urged to remain in Massachusetts, threw in his lot with the New Haven settlement, which he greatly influenced. He was remembered in his old home and with Cotton and Hooker, and was invited to sit in the Westminster Assembly. Declining this honor, he worked on his own in the wilderness, bravely sheltering the regicides Wally and Goff. Declining this honor, he worked on in the wilderness, bravely sheltering the regicides Wally and Goff at his own peril. Later in life, he succeeded John Norton as minister of the First Church in Boston, for him not a happy change, dying there at the age of 72. Eaton, who before his immigration had been envoy to Denmark, was for twenty years governor of New Haven, while Hopkins, his son-in-law, was alternately with Haynes, governor of the neighboring colony of Hartford, or Connecticut. The doubling in New England colonization must be remembered, or one may be misled. As in Massachusetts we find Plymouth and the Bay, so farther south we have Providence and Rhode Island, and near the Great River, Connecticut and New Haven, the doubling of capitals so long maintained in Rhode Island and Connecticut was a survival of the early state of things. Hopkins returned to England, where he was a man of mark during the Protectorate. In footnote. In the Hector came also the Lord Lay, son and heir of the Earl of Marlborough, being about nineteen years of age, who came only to see the country. He was of very sober carriage, and showed much wisdom and moderation in his lowly and familiar carriage, especially in the ship, where he was much disrespected and unworthily used by the master, one Fern, and some of the passengers, yet he bare it meekly and silently. When he came on shore, the governor was from home, and he took up his lodging at the common inn. When the governor returned, he presently came to his house. The governor offered him lodging, etc., but he refused, saying that he came not to be troublesome to any, and the house where he was was so well governed that he could be as private there as elsewhere. We had news of a commission granted in England to diverse gentlemen here for the governing of New England, etc., but instead thereof we received a commission from Sir Ferdinando Gorgias to govern his providence of New Somersetshire, which is from Capes Elizabeth to Segedaho, and withal to oversee his servants in private affairs, which was observed as a matter of no good discretion, but passed in silence. We excused our not intermeddling, etc., because, being directed to five or six of them, and one of their names being mistaken, and another removed to Connecticut, there were but four in the country, as also for that it did not appear to us what authority he had to grant such a commission. Footnote. Gorges had received a grant of this territory from the Council for New England in February 1635. In footnote. As for the commission from the king, we received only a copy of it, but the commission itself stayed at the seal for want of paying the fees. Month 5, July. The party who procured the commission, one George Cloves, brought also a protection under the privy signet for searching out the great lake of Iroquois. Footnote. Iroquois. This, it may be surmised, was Lake Champlain, of which the English settlers, now striking west, would be likely to hear. In footnote. And for the sole trade of beaver, and the planting of Long Island, by articles of agreement between the Earl of Stirling, Viscount, Canada, and him. Footnote. Sir William Alexander, Earl of Stirling, Viscount Canada, Poyet and Cordier, had in 1635 received Long Island by grant from the Council for New England. In footnote. 
Thus this and other gentlemen in England get large circuits of lands, etc., in this country, and are very ready to grant them out to such as will become their tenants, and to encourage them, do procure commissions, protections, etc., which cost them nothing, but will be at no charge in any right way of plantation, which should be by coming themselves, or sending some of their children, etc. But now, as they adventure little, they are sure to lose nothing but their vain hope. Captain Stoughton and his company, having pursued the Pequots beyond Connecticut, and missing of them, returned to Pequot River, where they were advertised, that one hundred of them were newly come back to a place some twelve miles off. So they marched thither by night and surprised them all. They put to death twenty-two men, and reserved two sachems, hoping by them to get Sassacus, which they promised. All the rest were women and children, of whom they gave the Naragnesets thirty, and our Massachusetts Indians three, and the rest they took thither. Apennis, returning, took a canoe with four Indians near Block Island. We sent to Miantanama to know what they were, and after we discharged all save one, who was Pequod, whom we gave Mr. Cutting to carry into England. The differences grew so much here as tended fast to a separation, so as Mr. Vane, being, among others, invited by the governor to accompany the Lord Lay at dinner, not only refused to come, alleging by letter that his conscience withheld him, but also at the same hour he went over to Noddle's Island to dine with Mr. Maverick and carried the Lord Lay with him. Sixth, There were sent to Boston forty-eight women and children. There were eighty taken, as before is expressed. These were disposed of to particular persons in the country. Some of them ran away and were brought again by the Indians our neighbors, and those were branded on the shoulder. Twelfth, Ianemo, the sachem of Neantic, came to Boston with seventeen men. He made diverse propositions, which we promised to give answer unto the next day, and then, understanding he had received many of the Pequods submitting to him since the former defeat, we first demanded the delivery of them, which he sticking at, we refused further conference with him. But the next morning he came and offered what we desired. So the governor referred him to treat with our captains at the Pequod and wrote instructions to them how to deal with him and received his present of tin fathom of wampum. He was lovingly dismissed with some small things given him. Footnote. The severities of 17th century warfare were perhaps no more marked and new than in old England. The prisoners captured at Dunbar and Worcester, for instance, faring little better than the Pequots. In footnote. Here came over a brother of Mrs. Hutchinson, and some other of Mr. Wheelwright's friends, whom the governor thought not fit to allow his others to sit down among us without some trial of them. Therefore, to save others from the danger of the law and receiving of them, he allowed them for four months. This was taken very ill by those of the other party, and many hot speeches given forth about it and about their removal, etc. Thirteenth. Mr. Stone, with about eighty of the English, whereof Mr. Ludlow, Captain Mason, and Blank of Connecticut were part, sailed to the west in pursuit of Sassacus, etc. At Quinnipiac, footnote, now New Haven, they killed six and took two. At a head of land, a little short, they beheaded two sachems, whereupon they called the place Sachem's Head. About this time they had given a Pequod his life to go find out Sassacus. He went and found him not far off, but Sassacus, suspecting him, intended to kill him, which the fellow perceiving escaped in the night and came to the English. Whereupon Sassacus and Mananoto, their two chief sachems, and some twenty more, fled to the Mohawks. But eighty of their stoutest men, and two hundred others, women and children, were at a place within twenty or thirty miles of the Dutch, 
whither our men marched and being guided by divine providence came upon them where they had twenty wigwams hard by a most hideous swamp so thick with bushes and so quagmiry as men could hardly crowd into it into the swamp they were all gotten lieutenant davenport and two or three more then entered the swamp were dangerously wounded by the indian arrows and with much difficulty were fetched out then our men surrounded the swamp being a mile about and shot at the indians and they at them and from three of the clock in the afternoon till they desired parley and offering to yield and life was offered to all that had not shed indian blood so they began to come forth now some and then some till about two hundred women and children were come out and amongst them the sachem of that place and thus they kept us two hours till night was come on and then the men told us they would fight it out and so they did all the night coming up behind the bushes very near our men and shot many arrows into their hats sleeves and stocks yet which was a very miracle not one of ours was wounded when it was near morning it grew very dark so as such of them as were left crept out at one place and escaped being as was judged not above twenty at most and those like to be wounded for in the pursuit they found some of them dead of their wounds here our men got some booty of kettles trays wampum etc and the women and children were divided and some sent to connecticut and some to the massachusetts the sachem of that place having yielded had his life and his wife and children etc the women who were brought home reported that we had slain in all thirteen sachems and that there were thirteen more left we had now slain and taken in all about seven hundred we sent fifteen of the boys and two women to bermuda by mr pierce but he missing it carried them to providence isle footnote an island in the caribbean off the nicaraguan coast in sixteen thirty charles first granted it by a patent similar to that of massachusetts to a company of englishmen mostly puritans who held it till sixteen forty one when the spaniards captured it in footnote month six august mr stoughton sailed with some of his company from pequod to block island they came thither in the night yet were discovered and our men having killed one or two of them and burnt some of their wigwams etc they came to Barlay, and submitting themselves to become tributaries in one hundred fathom wampum pieg, and to deliver any that should be found to have any hand in Mr. Oldham's death, they were all received, and no more harm done them. Third, at our general court, one greensmith, being censured for saying that all the elders, etc., except two, did preach a covenant of works, etc., he did appeal to the king, but the court, notwithstanding, committed him till, etc., the lord lay being told that one airy had spoken treason against the king sent for the party one brooks and inquiring of him he told him that airy had said about twelve months before that that if the king did send any authority hither against our patent he would be the first should resist him this coming to the governor's knowledge he sent for the parties and bound them over to the general court when they came there brooks brought his wife to witness with him but her testimony agreed not with his also three others whom he had told it unto reported it otherwise so at length they all agreed and set it under their hands that error said that if there came any authority out of england contrary to the patent he would withstand it now because here was no mention of the king and because he never informed any of the magistrates of it and for that it was evident that he bare malice to the said airy we saw no cause to take any other parties in forming the rather because themselves did urge it and she refused longer to speak at all except she might be put to her oath 
nor any offense which deserved punishment seeing it is lawful to resist any authority which was to overthrow the lawful authority of the king's grant and so the governor did openly declare in the court as justifiable by the laws of england third the lord lay and mr vane went from boston to the ship riding at long island to go for england at their departure those of mr vane's party were gathered together and did accompany him to the boat and many to the ship and the men being in their arms gave him diverse volleys of shot and five pieces of ordnance and he had five more at the castle but the governor was not come from the court but he had left order with the captain for their honorable dismission footnote the present editor has in another work ventured to declare that henry vane's career in america while characterized by shortcomings attributable largely to the immaturity of one scarcely beyond boyhood nevertheless foreshadows the course of the able and virtuous statesman vale afterward became hosmer life of young sir henry vane page seventy seven in footnote there was an old woman in ipswich who came out of england blind and deaf yet her son could make her understand anything and know any man's name by her sense of feeling he would write upon her hand some letters of the name and by other such motions would inform her this the governor himself had trial of when he was at ipswich fifth mr hooker and mr stone came with mr wilson from connecticut by providence and the same day mr ludlow mr pinchion and about twelve more came the ordinary way by land and brought with them a part of the skin and lock of hair of sassacus and his brother and five other pequod sachems who being fled to the mohawks for shelter with their wampum being to the value of five hundred pounds were by them surprised and slain with twenty of their best men mononota was also taken but escaped wounded they brought news also of diverse other pequods which had been slain by other indians and their heads brought to the english so that now there had been slain and taken between eight and nine hundred whereupon letters were sent to mr stoughton and the rest to call them all home a woman of boston congregation having been in much trouble of mind about her spiritual estate at length grew into utter desperation and could not endure to hear of any comfort etc so as one day she took her little infant and threw it into a well and then came into the house and said now she was sure she would be damned for she had drowned her child but some stepping forth presently saved the child see more after mr hooker and the rest of the elders meeting diverse days they agreed with consent of the magistrates upon a day of humiliation to be kept in all the churches the twenty-fourth of this month the day for the conference to be the thirtieth day at their private meeting some reconciliation was made between mr cotton and mr wheelwright and mr wilson he professing that by his speech in the court he did not intend the doctrine of mr cotton or mr wheelwright delivered in the public congregation but some opinions naming three or four which were privately carried in boston and other parts of the country and accordingly mr cotton declared so much in the congregation the lord's day following and for the rest of his speech it was agreed by all the elders to be inoffensive considering his call thereto by the court the sudden change was much observed by some who were privy that mr wilson had professed as much before both privately to the elders and publicly in the congregation and that the said opinions had been delivered to the elders of boston in writing as those which mr wilson intended seventeenth mr davenport preached at boston it being the lecture day out of that in first corinthians i exhort you brethren etc there be no division among you etc wherein as he fully set forth the nature and danger of divisions and the disorders which were among us etc so he clearly discovered his judgment against the new opinions and bitter practices which were sprung up here
Mr. Cotton, expounding that in Second Corinthians blank of the defection of the twelve tribes from Rehoboam, and his preparation to recover them by war, and the prophet's prohibition, etc., proved from that in Numbers 27, 21, that the rulers of the people should consult with the ministers of the churches upon occasion of any war to be undertaken, and any other weighty business, though the case should seem never so clear as David in the case of Ziglag, and the Israelites in the case of Gebeah, Judges, etc. 26. The captain and soldiers returned all from Pequod, having lost but one man, and he died of a flux, and another fell sick of an old infirmity, an asthma. The Indians about sent in still many Pequod's heads and hands from Long Island and other places, and blank sachems of Long Island came voluntarily, and brought a tribute to us of twenty fathom wampum, each of them, and me sent here from Pequod's squaws, which had run from us. 31st. The Naragnesets sent us the hands of three Pequods, one the chief of those who murdered Captain Stone. Twenty men went in a pinnace to kill Seahorse at the Isle of Sable, and after six weeks returned home, and could not find the island, but after another month fees about the blank of September, they set forth again with more skillful seamen, with intent to stay there all winter. Mr. Eaton and some others of Mr. Davenport's company went to view Quinnipiac, with intent to begin a plantation there. They had many offers here and at Plymouth, and they had viewed many places, but none could content. Some of the magistrates and ministers of Connecticut being here, there was a day of meeting appointed to agree upon some articles of confederation, and notice was given to Plymouth that they might join it, but their warning was so short as they could not come. This was concluded after C. 3. 1643. 30th. The Synod called the Assembly began at Newtown. There were all the teaching elders throughout the country, and some new come out of England, not yet called to any place here as Mr. Davenport, etc. The assembly began with prayer made by Mr. Shepherd, the pastor of Newtown. Then the erroneous opinions which were spread in the country were read, being eighty in all. Next the unwholesome expressions. Then the scriptures abused. Then they chose two moderators for the next day, viz. Mr. Buckley and Mr. Hooker, and these were continued in that place all the time of the assembly. There were about eighty opinions, some blasphemous, others erroneous, and all unsafe, condemned by the whole assembly, whereto near all the elders and others sent by the church subscribed their names, but some few like not subscription, though they consented to the condemning of them. Footnote. Boston in these days was not a pleasant place to dwell in. What with the homecoming of the ministers, and the notable men from the Pequot War with such gruesome trophies as the scalps of Sassacus and his tribesmen, with the weak-minded becoming insane through religious excitement, and the convening of a synod whose acts were to be marked by such severity, the harsh features of the picture are very salient. Winthrop omits many details here, but treats the subject at length in a short story, of which more presently. In footnote. Some of the Church of Boston and some others were offended at the producing of so many errors, as if it were a reproach laid upon the country without cause, and called to have the persons named which held those errors. To which it was answered and affirmed by many, both elders and others, that all those opinions could be proved by sufficient testimony to be held by some in the country, but it was not thought fit to name the parties, because this assembly had not to do with persons but doctrines only. Yet this would not satisfy some, but they oft called for witnesses, and because some of the magistrates declared to them, when they refused to forbear speech unseasonably, though the moderators desired them, 
that if they would not forbear it it would prove a civil disturbance and then the magistrate might interpose they objected against this as if the magistrate had nothing to do in this assembly so as he was forced to tell one of them that if he would not forbear but make trial of it he might see it executed upon this some of boston departed from the assembly and came no more footnote in his way of congregational churches page sixty three Cotton, answering many gross charges of Bailey's dissuasive as to his concurrence in Mrs. Hutchinson's heirs, says with much force, quote, Such as endeavored the healing of these distempers did seem to me to be transported with more jealousies and heats and paroxysms of spirit than would well stand with brotherly love or the rule of the gospel. Quote. Ten years after the agitations, this was his opinion, and it may be safely taken for the judgment of all succeeding time. In footnote. After the errors condemned, there were five points in question between Mr. Cotton and Mr. Wheelwright on the one part, and the rest of the elders on the other part, which were after reduced to three, and those after put into such expressions as Mr. Cotton they agreed, but Mr. Wheelwright did not. First, the first was about our union with Christ. The question was whether we were united before we had active faith. The consent was that there was no marriage union with Christ before actual faith, which is more than habitual. Second, the second was about evidencing justification by sanctification. The consent was that some saving sanctifications as faith, etc., were coexistent, concurrent, and co-apparent, or at least might be with the witness of the Spirit always. Third, that the new creature is not the person of a believer, but a body of saving graces in such a one, and that Christ as a head doth enliven or quicken, preserve and act the same, but Christ himself is no part of this new creature. Fourth, that though an effectual calling, in which the answer of the soul is by active faith, wrought at the same instant by the Spirit, justification and sanctification be altogether in them, yet God doth not justify a man before he be effectually called, and so a believer. Fifth, that Christ and his benefits may be offered and exhibited to a man under a covenant of works, but not in or by a covenant of works. In the first handling of these questions, either party delivered their arguments in writing, which were read in the assembly, and after the answers to them, which spent much time without any effect. But after they came to open dispute, the questions were soon determined, for so they came to understand each other better. Month 7th, September at the last day of the assembly other questions were debated and resolved one that though women might meet some few together to pray and edify one another yet such a set assembly as was then in practice at boston where sixty or more did meet every week and woman woman in a prophetical way by resolving questions of doctrines and expounding scripture took upon her the whole exercise was agreed to be disorderly and without rule footnote savage has the following characteristic note Quote, a more prophetical way has been often followed at meetings of women in Boston, and is, I think, in our days without censure. The conduct of the female assembly in 1637, however, so much resembles party-making that the resolution of the Senate is approved by the editor, though it bears hard on his great-great-great-great-grandmother. In footnote. Second, though a private member might ask a question publicly after sermon for information, yet this ought to be very wisely and sparingly done, and that with leave of the elders, but questions of reference then in use, whereby the doctrines delivered were reproved, and the elders reproached, and that with bitterness, etc., was utterly condemned. Third, that a person refusing to come to the assembly to abide the censure of the church might be proceeded against, though absent, 
yet was held better that the magistrate's help were called for to compel him to be present fourth that a member differing from the rest of the church in any opinion which was not fundamental ought not for that to forsake the ordinances there and if such did desire dismission to any other church which was of his opinion and did it for that end the church whereof he was ought to deny it for the same end twenty second the assembly brake up and it was propounded by the governor that they would consider that seeing the lord had been so graciously present in this assembly that matters had been carried on so peaceably and concluded so comfortably in all love etc if it were not fit to have the like meeting once a year or at least the next year to settle what yet remained to be agreed or if but to nourish love etc this motion was well liked of all but it was not thought fit to conclude it there was a motion made also by the governor that whereas there was differences among the churches about the maintenance of their ministers it might be agreed what way was most agreeable to the rule of the gospel but the elders did not like to deal in that lest it should be said that this assembly was gathered for their private advantage twenty sixth mr davenport as he had been before requested by the assembly preached out of philippians chapter three verse sixteen wherein he laid down the occasions of differences among christians etc and declared the effect and fruit of the assembly and with much wisdom and sound argument persuaded to unity etc the diet of the assembly was provided at the country's charge as also the fetching and sending back of those which came from connecticut it came to an all blank twenty eighth two men were hanged at boston for several murders the one john williams a ship carpenter who being lately come into the country and put in prison for theft break out of prison with one john hoddy whom near the great pond in the way to ipswich beyond salem he murdered and took away his clothes and what else he had and went in them to ipswich where he had been sent to prison and was there again apprehended and though his clothes were all bloody yet he would confess nothing till about a week after that the body of hoddy was found by the kind who smelling the blood made such a roaring as the cowkeeper looking about found the dead body covered with a heap of stones the other william schooler was a vintner in london and had been a common adulterer as himself did confess and had wounded a man in a duel for which he fled into the low country and from thence he fled from his captain and came into this country leaving his wife a handsome neat woman in england he lived with another fellow at merrimac and there being a poor maid at newbury one mary sholey who had desired a guide to go with her to her master who dwelt at pascatiquac he inquired her out and agreed for fifteen shillings to conduct her thither but two days after he returned and being asked why he returned so soon he answered that he had carried her within two or three miles of the place and then she would go no farther being examined for this by the magistrates at ipswich and no proof found against him he was let go but about a year after being impressed to go against the pequods he gave ill speeches for which the government sent warrant for him and being apprehended and supposed it had been for the death of the maid some spake what they had heard which might occasion suspicion he was again examined and diverse witnesses produced about it whereupon he was committed arraigned and condemned by due proceeding the effect of the evidence was this one he had lived a vicious life and now lived like an atheist two he had sought out the maid and undertook to carry her to a place where he had never been third when he crossed merrimac he landed in a place three miles from the usual path from thence it was scarce possible she should get into the path fourth he said he went by winnicawa house footnote hampton new hampshire in footnote which he said stood on the contrary side of the way 
5th, being, as he said, within two or three miles of Swampscoot, footnote, Exeter, New Hampshire, in footnote, where he left her, he went not thither to tell them of her, nor stayed by her that night, nor, at his return home, did tell anybody of her, till he was demanded of her. 6. When he came back, he had above ten shillings in his purse, and yet he said she would give him but seven shillings, and he carried no money with him. 7. At his return, he had some blood upon his hat, and on his skirts before, which he said was with a pigeon, which he killed. 8. He had a scratch on the left side of his nose, and being asked by a neighbor how it came, he said it was with a bramble, which could not be, it being of the breadth of a small nail, and being asked after by the magistrate, he said that it was with his piece, but that could not be on the left side. Ninth, The body of the maid was found by an Indian, about half a year after, in the midst of a thick swamp, ten miles short of the place he said he had left her in, and about three miles from the place where he landed by Merrimack, and it was after seen by the English. The flesh being rotted off it, and the clothes laid all on a heap by the body. Tenth, he said that soon after he left her, he met with a bear, and he thought that bear might kill her, yet he would not go back to save her. Eleventh, he broke prison, and fled as far as Powderhorn Hill, and there hid himself out of the way for fear of pursuit, and after, when he arose to go forward, he could not, but, as himself confessed, was forced to return back to prison again. At his death he confessed he had made many lies to excuse himself, but denied that he had killed her or ravished her. He was very loath to die, and had hoped he should be reprieved. But the court held him worthy of death, in undertaking the charge of a shiftless maid, and leaving her, when he might have done otherwise, in such a place as he knew she must needs perish, if not preserved by means unknown. Yet there were some ministers and others who thought the evidence not sufficient to take away his life. 8th, October, 7th. The wren, a small pinnace, coming from Connecticut, was taken in a northeast storm and forced to anchor near Conyahasset, where she drave upon the rocks and was wrecked, but all the men were saved. 12th, a day of thanksgiving kept in all the churches for our victories against the Pequods and for the success of the assembly, but by reason of this latter, some of Boston would not be present at the public exercises. The captains and soldiers, who had been in the late service, were feasted, and, after the sermon, the magistrates and elders accompanied them to the door of the house where they dined. 9th November 1st. Me and Tunema, the Narangasite Sachem, came to Boston. The governor, deputy, and treasurer treated with him, and they parted upon fair terms. He acknowledged that all the Pequod country and Block Island were ours, and promised that he would not meddle with them but by our leave. We gave him leave to right himself for the wrongs which Danima and Waquesh Cook had done him, and for the wrongs they had done us, we would right ourselves in our own time. A young man, coming alone in a skiff from Newtown, in a northeast storm of wind and snow, was found dead in his boat with a half-crown piece in his mouth. One jewel, master of bark, was drowned. The manner was this, he was bound to the Isle of Sable to relieve our men there. His bark had lain near a week at Natascot, waiting for him, but he stayed at Boston drinking, and could not be gotten away. Month 10, December. When he went, there was committed to his care a runlet of strong water, sent to some there, he promising that upon his life it should not be touched. But, as he went down in his bark's skiff, he went on shore at the castle, and there drank out about a gallon of it, and at night went away, but, it being very cold and dark, they could not find their bark, and jewel his hat falling into the water. 
As they were rowing back to look for it, he fell into the water near the shore where it was not six feet deep and could not be recovered. There was great hope that the late General Assembly would have had some good effect in pacifying the troubles and dissensions about matters of religion, but it fell out otherwise. For though Mr. Wheelwright and those of his party had been clearly confuted and confounded in the assembly, yet they persisted in their opinions and were as busy in nourishing contentions the principle of them as before. Whereupon the general court being assembled in the second of the ninth month, November, and finding upon consultation that two so opposite parties could not contain in the same body, without apparent hazard of ruin to the whole, agreed to send away some of the principal, and for this a fair opportunity was offered by the remonstrance or petition, which they preferred to the court the ninth of the first month, March, wherein they affirmed Mr. Wheelwright to be innocent, and that the court had condemned the truth of Christ with diverse other scandalous and seditious speeches, as appears at large in the proceedings of this court, which were faithfully collected and published soon after the court break up, subscribed by more than sixty of that faction, whereof one William Aspinwall being one, and he that drew the said petition, being then sent as a deputy for Boston, was for the same dismissed, and after called to the court and disenfranchised and banished. And John Coggeshall was another deputy, who, though his hand was not to the petition, yet professing himself to approve it, etc., was also dismissed, and after disfranchised. And then the court sent warrant to Boston to send other deputies in the room, but they intended to have sent the same men again, but Mr. Cotton, coming amongst them, dissuaded them with much ado. Then the court sent for Mr. Wheelwright, and he persisting to justify his sermon, and his whole practice and opinions, and refusing to leave either the place or his public exercising, he was disfranchised and banished, upon which he appealed to the king, but neither called witnesses nor desired in the act to be made of it. The court told him that an appeal did not lie, for by the king's grant we had power to hear and determine without any reservation, etc. So he relinquished his appeal, and the court gave him leave to go to his house upon his promise that if he were not gone out of our jurisdiction within fourteen days, he would render himself to one of the magistrates. The court also sent for Mrs. Hutchinson, and charged her with diverse matters, as her keeping two public lectures every week in her house, whereto sixty or eighty persons did usually resort, and for reproaching most of the ministers, viz. all except Mr. Cotton, for not preaching a covenant of free grace, and that they had not the seal of the Spirit, nor were able ministers of the New Testament, which were clearly proved against her, though she sought to shift it off. And after many speeches to and fro, at last she was so full as she could not contain, but vented her revelations, amongst which this was one that it had revealed to her that she should come into New England and should here be persecuted, and that God would ruin us and our posterity and the whole state for the same. So the court proceeded and banished her, but because it was winter they committed her to a private house where she was well provided, and her own friends and the elders permitted to go to her, but none else. The court called also Captain Underhill, and some five or six more of the principal, whose hands were to the said petition, and because they stood to justify it, they were disfranchised, and such as had public places were put from them. The court also ordered that the rest who had subscribed the petition, and would not acknowledge their fault, and which near twenty of them did, and some others, who had been chief stirs in these contingents, etc., should be disarmed. This troubled some of them very much, especially because they were to bring it, them in themselves, but at last, when they saw no remedy, they obeyed. Footnote. One almost wonders that the colony survived the agitations here narrated. Aspinwall, Coddington, Coggeshall, Underhill, Wheelwright, Mrs. Hutchinson, 
and those of her name and many others now subjected to discipline were people of the first distinction it is plain that cotton with his disposition toward liberality and his affection for many among the heretics was in an agonized frame of mind while winthrop who not long before had been reprimanded for his lenity must have executed with acute suffering the sentences of the court the social order seemed rocking to destruction and if ever there is occasion to judge men with charity it is found here we quote a passage from the colonial records volume one page two o seven whereas the opinions and revelations of mr wheelwright and mrs hutchinson have seduced and led into dangerous errors many of the people here in new england insomuch as there is just cause of suspicion that they as others in germany in former times may upon some revelation make some sedane eruption upon those that differ from them in judgment for prevention whereof it is ordered that all those whose names are underwritten shall upon warning given or left at their dwelling-houses before the thirtieth of this month of november deliver in at mr kane's house at boston all such guns pistols swords powder shot and match as they shall be owners of or have in their custody upon pain of ten pounds for every default to be made thereof which arms are to be kept by mr kane till this court shall take further order therein also it is ordered upon the penalty of exile that no man who is to render his arms by this order shall buy or borrow any guns swords pistols powder shot or match until this court shall take further orders therein a list of names of those disarmed throughout the colony follows in which are many of the best in footnote all the proceedings of this court against these persons were set down at large with the reasons and other observations and were sent into england to be published there to the end that all our godly friends might not be discouraged from coming to us etc end of section nine